Welcome to Park City Church. You're listening to our weekly message, where we hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know and follow Jesus and welcome and serve others. Thank you for tuning in. All right. Hopefully you guys got that sorted. Some of you are like, oh, I never thought about signing off that way, and now it's going to revolutionize your communication style. I, I don't know. I, I was thinking, I, I don't know where you went, right? Like formal, informal, what that moment is for you. All the classics, right? Like uh, yours truly, you guys, it might be weird if you got that like on a text or whatever, <laughs> like uh, yours truly, I don't know, sincerely, thanks again, comment, right? Appreciatively, respectfully. I, I don't know what the range of like uh, best regards, cheers, mate, right? I, what, what the range of... Uh, uh, but I did think of like uh, more public settings, right? There's some famous like sign-offs. Just a couple of maybe you can help me with here. Uh, anybody? Can anyone place "Good Night" and "Good Luck"? It was a sign-off, a news broadcaster. Uh, this was Edward Murrow from CBS, right? Good night in the '50s. In the '50s, good night and good luck. How about? And that's the way it is. Anyone? And that's the way. It is. That's Walter Cronkite in the 60s. You guys like, man, Matt, do you even know who you're talking to this morning? (laughs) Wow, how long ago was that? Was there electricity back then? I don't know. (laughs) I am older these days, so, you know. Uh, How about this one? All right, we're going to hit everybody with this one. Stay classy, San Diego. Anchorman, right? Like Fictional, right? Fictional. Uh, Thank you, Will Ferrell. Um, So uh, in a much more substantive way, uh, our reading this morning is is a it's, it's a sign off. Peter is 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 wrapping up his communication to a commu- to a community of early Christians, which we've tried to establish week by week. Right? It's it's in its infancy, its beginning. It's in it's in the middle of a Roman Empire. Uh, like it's on a it's on a much larger sort of global and cultural scale. And in the midst of all of that grandness, is this fledgling beginning. Um, Will it even be viable community of Christ followers claiming to follow a, a Messiah who himself laid down his life, right? Like was crucified as a criminal and claiming that somehow God like raised him and, and he's revolutionized, changed the world, right? And uh, so kind of on this world stage is this sort of group of uh, these scattered groups of Christians to whom Peter is writing. And at the end of that letter, he, he's, this is his, his sign-off. And uh, I do think it's interesting. We're going to camp out really just in the second paragraph there. I just wanted to give a little bit of context as we moved into it. But it's, it's amazing to me, of all the things Peter could have said here, right? And it's sometimes formulaic, right? Like letter writing, even in the New Testament, they have their sort of best regards or yours truly kinds of expressions. But what Peter is, does here, I think is, is re- it's just... Uh, a remarkable amount of precision in the way in which he, he uh, summarizes all that he's been trying to communicate uh, to, to this group of Christians, trying to live their faith uh, in a context that was either uh, um, ambivalent, oblivious to them, or opposed right, to the changes it would have made. Uh, in their allegiances. And so we're going to kind of look at his uh, conclusion here, his sign-off in a way, just make, I'm going to make like three observations. Um, if we're going to summarize them, if, if, uh, if you sort of want a phrase to kind of hang on to, I think what Peter drives us towards here in this conclusion is that we stand firm in grace together. All right? So if, if this is a single summary statement, for those of you that uh, uh, don't want to listen to anything else I say this morning, this is it. I've given it to you right here. We stand firm in grace together, right? We stand firm 
in grace together. And Peter sort of moves through these. We'll pick each of these phrases, sort of summary statements up uh, in turn. The first one is we stand firm. I think what Peter does first is offer encouragement, right? It's in this language here in verse 12. He says, exhorting. Like, I'm calling your attention to, I'm exhorting all that I've been exhorting and declaring to you. And then he says, regarding the grace of God, to stand firm. There's this clear, as he signs off, this clear nudge of encouragement. Well, why? Why in this parting moment, uh, why this sort of last reminder, this nudge of encouragement? Well, again, I think he's sort of leaning back on all that he's already expressed, uh, and and he's, he's been pretty clear along the way that one reason this final push for encouragement might be necessary is because he recognizes a need in them, uh, a need that I think exists still in you and me, this uh, uh, rather a tendency, a pull towards kind of past affections and priorities, right? That he's, he's said this from the beginning. He's, he's told them who they were right up front, the very first chapter. You've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. But then he'll go on to say just a few verses later, so therefore don't, don't be conformed to sort of passions from your former life. Allegiances, priorities, these things which drove you and sort of uh, defined your life, status, all these kinds of things, those things no longer sort of have that place in your life. You have been raised to new life, but he acknowledges there's this pull in all of us. Our hearts want to gravitate. Even if it's not some sort of, you know, actual history in your life of, you know, I have this sort of long backstory and then I can't, you know, my life was a wreck. I came to Christ. Maybe that is your story. But even if that's not, Peter acknowledges that all of our hearts are kind of prone to live uh, to return to some kind of old priorities. He'll say again in, in the opening chapter, knowing that you were ransomed, he says, from, from futile ways, right? Kind of, again, just old former ways of thinking uh, in, in your life. There's, I think, in this final encouragement, exhorting, reminding them, is an acknowledgement. There's a tendency in your heart and mind, his readers, to, to just sort of revert back to sort of the kind of life our hearts would live without Christ. And so he encourages them. But, but not just this sort of inward pull. I think he puts this in here because as we've seen week after week after week, he's writing to a group of people trying to live their faith in a culture that, is, that oftentimes it creates tension in, in their ability to, to live it out. And we've said before he's given concrete examples. It's the way they relate to sort of civic space in their life, political, the way they relate to economic sort of circles in their life, family as they return to family situations, all these places he's acknowledging your life is markedly different now. Your allegiances are different, and that will create tension. Even persecution has been clear as he's written throughout his letter. And so here in this last moment, again, acknowledging that this is the world into which they must now live, he speaks another word of encouragement, exhorting, reminding, encouraging them to stand firm. strengthening them, calling them back to, I know you might be tired. I know you might have questions. I know as you try to live your faith, the sort of daily grind of that experience uh, in your life, it it, it, it can tend to wear you down. I know you might feel the pull towards like, man, what's the point of all this or why continue in this effort? And maybe you just want to revert back to, and so he encourages them to stand firm specifically with regard to suffering and acknowledging that that can affect sort of the strength of their footing. 
we, uh, I think a, uh, a conversation recently in our Life Together group, that the guys were chatting and the, the expression of be where your feet are. Uh, it kind of came up, this, this sort of kind of being present, but this image of like what, just kind of planting your feet, Peter, encouraging them, but acknowledging that these are influences that could affect the, 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 the security, rather, the, their, their footing, acknowledging that these pools are there, and so he encourages them. He'll be explicit with regard to suffering. Christ has suffered. The one whom you follow, the one on whom you stake your life, this is his story, right? And you are, you are following him. So in a sense, encouraging them not to be surprised. So this, you're like, man, Matt, I thought you were going to be encouraging, right? Well, ho- well, hopefully, I don't know what your kind of story of faith is, but I think as, as Peter signs off on this letter, the first thing he does is, is try to breathe sort of strength exhort to, to breathe encouragement into their lived expression of faith. And I would hope we can do that. We do that week to week here at, at Park City, whatever you're, uh, wherever you are in that walk, that you would hear one, the honest acknowledgement that sometimes it's a challenge uh, for external reasons or internal, but that you'd hear the encouragement of Peter to stand firm, right? As he signs off, but, but he, it's not all he says here. That's, that's not, all he says, he continues uh, here. So we stand firm, he says. But then he qualifies the nature of that, right? Uh, I think in, in the true grace of God is the phrase as we read it uh, here, right? Uh, it declaring, he's reminding, I've written briefly to you, exhorting, declaring that this is the true grace of God, and, and, uh, which is a really interesting phrase, right? I, I don't know. I'm just telling you, when I read it, I'm like, okay, well then, the assumption is that there are distortions of the grace of God, right? If you read this expression, it's like, I'm trying to root you in the true grace of God. So the implication there is that, well, then obviously there are, uh, there, there are sort of false notions of that. And I think what Peter has done, you know, we, you know, there's lots of detail we could sort of try to tease out and unpack. But what's clear, what has been clear for Peter from the beginning is, is that this sort of true grace of God for him is clearly wrapped up in the story the person, the work, and the example of Jesus. He, he's, he's returned to it uh, throughout his letter in really sort of concrete ways, the, the, the significant moments in the life of Jesus, that he suffered, that he, that he died. Right? As, as the Messiah, he gave up his life and, and died, that he was raised, and God raised him from the dead, and, and, and God chose him. Right? Even you, know, you, you would think all these other things would, would prove the contrary, but somehow this is the one whom God has chosen and raised, right? that, that he, he takes us back again and again to, to the person and work of Jesus, and not just what he has done, but also his example. As we'll read together in just a moment when we take communion, that Jesus did not respond in the midst of that story and those experiences. He didn't, he didn't respond in kind. And he, he, he didn't retaliate with the same level of, of uh, engagement with which he had been sort of confronted. Uh, Peter would, would go back to this uh, example over and over again. That, that uh, as you tease out the particulars of the true grace of God, it's clear Peter's rooting them in their experience. And all the questions it would raise for them. He's rooting them in the, the, the person and work of Jesus Christ. And, and here's what I think is interesting. I think we could go a, a few different directions here. I'm going to go in one particular direction. Uh, I, I, I just want to raise the question. I don't think this, you know, this isn't here, but well, then what are those other graces? 
Right? What, what, as we sit with this phrase, well, what are the implications of, well, maybe, uh, you know, Peter's, again, pulling us again and again back into the story of Jesus. Well, what might those other graces be? Well, I, I have a couple of suggestions I will tentatively make today because I, I, think, I think oftentimes what happens is we want to sort of pick up a grace, the story of Jesus that is expedient, right? It's, which I think the whole of Peter's letter um, discourages us from that move. But, but we like faith, and particularly even the story of Jesus, when, it's, when it is kind of expedient. In that sense, I think oftentimes our sort of story of grace can have a sort of really specific national or political expression. I think oftentimes our story of grace can have a, a, a maybe more specific sort of economic kind of, kind of leaning, if you will. It, it, is, it is a grace that becomes politically or financially or culturally or all of these different spaces expedient because it serves some other purpose. It's kind of a means to an end. And Peter is writing to people in the midst of suffering uh, and, and, and telling them, uh, yours, your story is rooted in the story of Jesus. And this was his experience. And it's not surprising then that it ought to be yours. And that is enough is what he says. That grace in this sense is not uh, something you kind of pick up to serve a, a, another purpose, which, which I think is, again, on a more personal level, I think sometimes our, our relationship to the story of Jesus is one that is often really closely tied to some other end, right? It's on my experience of comfort or my need for control my maintaining its kind of cultural status or position or influence or uh, place. And Peter is writing to people for whom all of those things have been stripped away. Their decision to follow Jesus has, has, has adversely affected all of those uh, cultural sort of markers in their life. And he doesn't sort of call them out of it. He says, this was the story of Jesus. This is the one whom you follow. It's the example he has set for you. And so he encourages them in it. I, I feel like this a lot here. Again, I just want to stress, I suppose, Peter's invitation. We stand firm, but he's careful to call them back again and again, specifically to the nature of that stance, the ground on which uh, that footing is secure. And it is for Peter over and over again, the person and work and example of Jesus. And I think sometimes we, we sort of maybe want to set a couple of those things aside. We're okay with maybe the person of Jesus at times. The work of Jesus, something he did for us. I'm like, okay. The example of Jesus, ah, right? Like, uh, I don't know, right? It depends on which example you choose, right? But, uh, uh, and here I think Peter keeps all of them on the table as a community of people following Jesus. So he encourages them. He, he uh, gives them clarity, around the nature of that grace clarity. But then he does uh, just one more observation here this morning. Uh, and, and that is like the last bit of our phrase. We stand firm, this encouragement, in the grace of God and Jesus uh, with others, right, together. So again, he's like signing off a letter here. And it's, uh, I, I love these bits of scripture. I, I don't know, sometimes maybe you're like me, you read them and we just kind of like, I, you know, 
this is a quick scroll. If I'm using a digital thing, I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Uh, uh, I, you know, we may or may not have used the genealogies in Scripture to help lull our children to sleep, right? This is not a good precedent, right? Like, you, you get to these bits of Scripture sometimes that feel sort of really specific, and so it's like, well, this doesn't have relevance for me. And, and it kind of pushes against our tendency to kind of think of the Bible as this, like, uh, we were chatting with someone this week, like an answer book, right? This kind of magic book with, like, all this stuff. What, what passages like this do for me, uh, verses 12 and 13 and 14, they, they, they put significant flesh on the stories of the New Testament. I mean, this is a, this is a really specific contextualized moment. Peter's writing to a particular group of people, and here he, he gives us, he names some who are a part of this journey, right? S- Silvanus, he says, uh, trusted brother. Um, most think that he either had something to do with like Peter dictating, and so his hand wrote a lot of the letter, and then at the end, Peter picks up the pen and says, this is my little bit, or that, that he was actually played a hand in delivering this letter uh, to some or uh, of the communities to whom it was addressed. That he, here was a sense in which Peter is not alone in his uh, experience and expression of this grace of God in Jesus. Sylvanus, but uh, uh, just a, a verse or two later, right? Mark, he, he refers to him as his beloved son, my son. Uh, again, most think a kind of metaphorical expression for uh, like Timothy was to Paul, uh, this sort of apprentice, uh, Mark to to Peter, Mark, you know Mark, you know Mark. Uh, you're like, really? Uh, yeah, you know Mark, right? D- John Mark, we bump into his story uh, throughout Scripture. It's, it's his mom that hosts the disciples for a prayer meeting after the day of Pentecost in Acts. And, and Peter, in prison, right, uh, by, from Herod, like imprisoned, uh, rescued by an angel, makes his way to, to this home, Mark, Mark's mother. Uh, you, you know Mark, uh, he accompanies in Acts, he accompanies Paul and Barnabas on, on their first missionary journey. And there's, there's a bit of conflict and tension. Paul says, I'm going to go this way, Mark, you pray. But, but a bit later, a bit later in Rome, Mark will come alongside Paul again and be his companion, will be helpful to him. Mark, who, who many uh, understand understand, scholars and historians understand Mark, instrumental in the process of setting down Peter's uh, teachings of the words and deeds of Jesus. Mark's worth capturing those and, and writing them and giving us Mark's gospel. Mark, Mark, Peter writing this letter to a group of people like you and me trying to figure out how to follow Jesus. Sure, there's loads of history in between. The cultural context is maybe a little different. We're still playing the same game, though, right? We're still, we're still involved. I shouldn't have used that expression. We're still involved in the same journey of, of trying to you know, live out this confession. Peter writing to a group of people references the help of others. Sylvanus, Mark. Uh, but, but then he uses these phrase as we uh, sort of move towards an end. She who is at Babylon. That's how I'm going to start signing off all of my communication uh, for the record. So if you notice that change in anything that comes out from the church, just know it's biblical, right? Um, she who is at Babylon, greet you, right? Um, uh, uh, it feels like out of Dune or something. Um, uh, but but uh, again, a reference, most think a reference to Babylon, this sort of image, this metaphor for, uh, historically not a metaphor, right, a representative of the capital city of the empires of the world, right? Uh, Babylon and the story of the people of God, this, the center of the, uh, the, kind of the source of exile for God's people. And Peter's been writing, he's used that language, exiles and in the world, he's writing to them. So he picks up the imagery here that uh, representative of the, of the kind of empire of the world, in this case, most likely the church in Rome. Right? Even those who have been chosen, he says, like you 
in Babylon. And again, maybe you're like, what, what possible relevance could this have to my life in Overland Park in 2021, right? Um, uh, but what I think, what I want to suggest to you is what it does is it puts flesh, it puts a concreteness on what we read in Scripture, that it's not just sort of mystical, you know, uh, patterns for your life. It's, it, it, it is uh, contextualized then and now. Prior to this section, kind of in the first paragraph you read there, he references even in that moment, your brotherhood throughout the world, brothers and sisters all over the world. What, 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 what could he possibly uh, be suggesting here and how do we apply it? Well, here's, here's what I, again, I want to suggest to us this morning and then we're going to take communion. I think it, at its very least, as Peter writes to these groups of Christians scattered throughout Asia Minor, he's reminding them that their story is not unique, right? That the story of the grace of God, remember he's, he's encouraging to stand firm in the grace of God, but he's, he's very pointedly reminding them here that that experience is not unique to their context. There are people all over the world, he says, following this Messiah, what's that mean for you and me? All over the world, it means different skin colors. It means different languages. It means different cultures. It means, it means at home, different political affiliations, different colors, different socioeconomic uh, context. It means different politically, economically, educationally, all of these things. Peter, in this moment, I feel like sort of nudges us in the direction of remembering that people in all of those places and spaces in our lives and world and culture have experiences of the grace of God that though different from mine, are rooted in the very same story, person, work, and example of Jesus. Still, like us around the world, right? Uh, which I think is important oftentimes for us to remember that God's work is more varied, more uh, diverse than we could really often uh, take the time to consider, and yet here, Peter, reminding those first Christians and us still that God's work is so much bigger than oftentimes our limited sort of experience of it. You guys are all wondering, when is Matt going to talk about greet one another with a kiss of love, right? Uh, Um. I'm going to sign off with She Who is a Babylon, and we're also going to start this practice next week at Park City. So if it changes your decision on where to attend church next week, um, we, we won't do that. Don't freak out. This is not a practice we will pick up in this way. But I do think, again, uh, as we close, it's very clear for Peter that for Christians then and for Christians now, this is not a kind of individualistic sort of pursuit of of some, like, I've made this decision, I ticked this box, and um, it is individual. We follow Christ, but it happens in the context of community. We need each other. We stand firm, he says, together, together. I, uh, uh, many of you know, I did seminary in, in New England, so we spent a few years kind of on the East Coast. And one of our favorite places to visit there was Concord, Massachusetts. And uh, it may be familiar, perhaps you know the story that shot her around the world, the story of the Minutemen, the Minutemen Trail. There's beautiful country, uh, lovely place. Again, all sorts of like, fun history. One of the reasons we love that, that area, uh, my wife is a big Louisa May Alcott fan, and her orchard house was in Concord. The, the story you see depicted in those stories, the house, the home, like uh, just this hub of, of, of literary. You guys are like, man, man, and go back to, you know, all the other stuff. But where's Dune, right? Where's Dune? Um, but this is a beautiful hub of kind of activities, literarily, culturally. 
Uh, it was beautiful. We loved it. It was one of our favorite places to explore. I remember t- my family came to visit, and uh, we visited a house called the Old Mance, and uh, Emerson, I think his father, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson's father had lived there, and uh, Hawthorne uh, and his uh, new bride rented the home and lived there. That you could see in the window, they had etched like with their ring. They had etched uh, their you know affection for one another in the glass of a window. Like I guess you know whatever. But um, uh, it's beautiful. It's kind of fun. There was a piano there. My mom sat down and like played played at the piano as we took the tour. It was really fun. Uh, just a fun space. Which, like, uh, sorry for that unnecessarily long trip down memory lane. That was just me sort of reminiscing. Um, interestingly, right, one of our favorite locations there outside of uh, Alcott's house is Walden Pond, right? You guys are familiar with Walden Pond? And uh, uh, it Henry David Thoreau, right? Uh, he writes this beautiful work, kind of the reflection on nature, uh, very spiritual still to this day, right? A, a, a site of sort of spiritual activity, like uh, communing with nature and, and, and then whatever deeper uh, spiritual truth people uh, want to find there, you know, uh, uh, Thoreau kind of writing about that experience. But he, you know, he, he, he retreated into those woods, built a, just a really little cabin. Um, and, he, and he pared down his life to its necessities, right? This was, this was before sparking joy, right? Like this was a trend long before sort of hugging the things that are important to us and de- determining, right, if, if this thing's bring us life. He's a minimalist, like way back, right? And uh, retreats into the woods around Walden Pond and, and lives alone. This sort of picture of rugged American individualism, maybe not rugged, uh, you know, uh, but American sort of individualism. And this moment, this season, marking kind of a turn, even culturally, uh, celebrated for this uh, kind of turn towards individualism, a, a part of the, the transcendentalist group, uh, authors and thinkers. Uh, there's a new book actually coming out about sort of this community. Um, uh, and interestingly, in observing sort of you know, writing and reflecting on that area of the country, uh, it makes this observation about the row. That was a really long introduction to what I'm about to tell you. So... Here's to hoping it lands. Uh, he says of Thoreau, right, that we, if, if we know him, what we know him for and remember him for, you know, is that he lived alone for a couple of years or so in his late 20s in a cabin in the woods. And can I tell you, the introvert in me is like, yes, right? <laughs> this, is, this is what I want my faith to look like, right? Uh, give me a good book. This, I love you guys, right? Uh, give me a good book, Alone in the Woods, I could get behind this. Uh, the author, again, of, of this work on reflecting on this life and culture says, this is what we remember. It's what we celebrate, this shift in sort of American kind of expressions of life. He said, but almost as many, perhaps, maybe you're not familiar uh, with the seeming contradiction in Thoreau's life is that frequently on weekends, he went home to his parents' house, right? Yes. He's like, uh, right? We, we, the, 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 the irony of the fact that we celebrate him for this like, uh, experience of solitude and individualism and he says but uh, he goes on to kind of articulate but like frequently regularly returning to his parents house or or people in this sort of really tight knit community coming to visit him friends like Hawthorne and others right That, that 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 what made sort of this individual experience even possible for him was this really tight knit uh web of support and community of life together if you will and I want to suggest to you that I think sometimes, uh, oftentimes in our culture, we think of our Christian faith as this really sort of individual pursuit, and it is that. 
But Peter says, yes, you know, I want to encourage you to stand firm when you're pulled towards all sorts of things. To stand firm specifically in the grace of God in Jesus Christ, his life, person, example, and work. Only that. And then he says, but this is not something you do alone. We do it together in community with others, which Peter exemplifies by example in the names that he includes, but also by exhortation, the church that is in Rome and encouraging them towards uh, the kiss of peace, if you will, which again, please don't be alarmed. We're not headed that direction here. And all of this lands with the last verse, peace to all of you who are in Christ, that as we stand firm in God's grace together, God works his peace in his people. Peter, right, who in, in, in the last moments before uh, Jesus' trial and crucifixion, uh, before all of that, Peter, who heard, who heard from the lips of Jesus, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I don't give like the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Peace. Peter, right, who in the exciting but confusing days following the resurrection, what in the world is going on? Peter, who who saw Jesus show up behind locked doors again in a moment of fear and more than once simply say, peace be with you. Peace be with you. I think Peter pulls us into that in the midst of whatever fears we may be carrying, our own experiences, pulls us into the story of Jesus together, uh, drawing us into the peace that God wants to work in our lives, in our community, in his world that he created. Maybe you're here this morning, you need some encouragement. You're, like my feet, my legs are wobbly, right? Like I feel I can feel my footing uh, slip a bit. You need just to be encouraged. Uh, you are not alone, right? Maybe it's clarity, right? The grace of God has picked up all sorts of dust and, and just loads of other things in your life as you've moved through life and, and it's just to kind of let some of that stuff fall off and hear again the person, work, and example of Jesus. Or maybe it's just a reminder that you're not alone, the support and community of others is a present reality in your life. Or the reminder that grace is much larger than we imagine, its scope and effect more varied uh, than we often consider. We got to stand up. Thank you for listening to the Park City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church and or to find ways to get involved in our community, visit us at parkcitykc.com or follow us on social media at Park City KC.